Abuse in foster care. I've been physically, sexually, mentally abused. I was in 30 within a year. 30 different homes. Yes. I was physically and mostly abused. I was like beaten. If you're going to take, you know, youth from their parents, you need to protect them. These are voices of people who were in Illinois' foster care system as kids talking to CBS2 Chicago about abuse they faced from their foster families. A three-year-long CBS2 investigation found most child abuse claims reported to the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services get closed by the agency as unfounded. Here to explain why is CBS2 investigative journalist Dave Savini. Hi, Dave. Hi, Susie. So first, Dave, what led you to this investigation? Well, we've been covering Department of Children and Family Services uh, stories for a a good decade now. Uh, You know, usually it's when it's too late. The children are already dead, um, victims of abuse. uh, And the warning signs are typically there. Uh, And, you know, we find over and over again that in these extreme cases, there were red flags that, um, were ignored or, um, you know, just looked over. And so as we were investigating uh, DCFS, we decided that, you know, we were really getting into data journalism and we wanted to get all of their data. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started filing Freedom of Information Act requests for data uh, on how they track abuses in their system. Wow. And and so when, once you got that, uh, did that sort of shift your focus a bit on, on um, what you were looking for? We weren't sure what we were going to find when we started out. But as we started to get the data trickling in, we noticed we had one data set that just jumped out at us. Mm. Quite stunning, actually. And that was that uh, children who are in foster care homes um, who allege abuses sex offenses uh, allegations, and also physical harm and neglect allegations are just, not only are they not believed, they're just not founded. And these are cases that, as we understand it, are investigated by DCFS's own investigators. Um, Mm -hmm. They're not always referred to police. And uh, what we found was 91% of the time, physical harm allegations go unfounded. And 88% of the time, sexual offenses, those types of allegations go unfounded. The, the average of all offenses, um, allegations, was 90% unfounded. And, and this is data uh, between 2016 to 2021. Um, so what does it mean that the claims went unfounded? What are the consequences? Well, if it goes unfounded, nothing. There is no consequence. But if, it, if in those slim amounts, of cases where there was a finding or what they call indicated that what could happen is a foster care parent can be retrained possibly. Um, they could lose their licensing uh, and then they can appeal that um, if, if it's a finding of an indication against them, they could lose their license to be foster care parents. The If it's a, a matter of uh, five, there's four categories that have to, by law, be reported to police. Death, serious injury, sexual assault, and torture. That's, those are the only categories that DCFS must refer to police. The other categories are subjective. They can decide when they, by law, there's no statutory rule that says they have to tell police uh, about a case. So um, there certainly is law enforcement that could happen in those, in those uh, founded cases, 
But we wanted to know, are you tracking that DCFS? Mm -hmm. Do you know? Can you tell us how often do you refer cases to police? And they told us they could not give us that data because it would be too burdensome. They do not track it. So they'd have to create a whole new database just to track it, to give it to us. So they're not tracking how often and which cases they refer to police. I mean, if you're taking care of children, that seems like something that you would want to track, that you would have a database for. I I would imagine so. There were 6,000 allegations, 6,000 unique allegations in the data uh, between 2016 and 2021. Those 6,000 allegations involved 3,200 foster parents. I don't understand why they don't just call police on every allegation just to dual report. That's only like 50, if you do the math, over over five years, 3,200 uh, foster parents uh, alleged to have committed some sort of abuse. You're looking at only about 50 to 60 cases a month statewide that would be investigated over a five-year period. I mean, I don't know how burdensome that would be for police departments to take on these allegations as well. It doesn't sound like it would be when you think about a state of uh, as many million people we have here and as many police departments we have in yeah. the state. You know, within the um, the reports um, and something that is deemed unfounded, I mean, is there an explanation or even any sort of narrative of, of why an investigator may have found something unfounded? There's really no... Um, there's really no explanation at the moment as to, you know, on a broad perspective of what's happening here, because this is never before seen data. This is never this has never been analyzed before. You would think that the agency was doing would be doing its own internal audits. If they have done it, I've not seen them share it anywhere. So what the agency has told us is that they've gotten better over the years at uh, at, at lessening the amount of maltreatment cases amongst foster kids. Uh, by just the methodology of the training of the foster mm-hmm. care parents. The system is better, they say. But I haven't seen them, they haven't been able to prove that to us. Yeah. We have not seen the numbers uh, that they claim that there's been an, an improvement. And so right now we're in a battle with the agency to uh, vet some of the information they're giving us that they can't back up. And and I just want to back up a little bit on the process itself. So when a child in foster care or, or a concerned adult uh, tells DCFS that, um, you know, th- there is a child being hurt, neglected, or abu- sexually abused um, by a foster parent. Uh, what happens? What does investigating that claim look like? So the DCFS investigators, it starts with a caseworker, uh, a caseworker doing a random uh, visit or a, uh, you know, sometimes they do unannounced visits, and then they also have regular visits at the homes of foster care parents where these children are being kept. There's also mandated reporters like teachers, healthcare workers, you know, doctors, somebody who might notice a child might be experiencing some sort of, some sort of abuse or neglect, or they may have learned something from the child that they report to the agency, the agency's hotline. So that's how the allegations come in. Um, and, and then the caseworkers begin an investigation, DCFS, uh, gets their supervisors involved, and they, depending on the allegation, they may even have like a, a council of people look at it. Uh, if it's a sexual assault case, uh, they may bring police in for that because that's that's one of the statutory ones that they have to mm-hmm. bring police in on. Certainly, if it's a death, police will be involved. Uh, but you know, most often you have cases of neglect. Uh, kids aren't eating. 
kids are being you know uh, hurt. Uh, sometimes it's another child in the system, mm, yeah. in the foster care home, that's hurting another child, which comes down to licensing and supervision within the home. So there's a variety of ways you can end up um, under investigation under the DCFS umbrella. And mm. it's a complicated system. They won't give you unique information. You just get raw data. Uh, you don't know which kid is, who the kids are. The only time we know who a child, what child is the victim of abuse, the only time that agency tells us is when a child is, is deceased. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we heard uh, the clip at the top of the segment, um, the abuse survivors who, who decided to speak out about their experience. Um, I mean, just gut-wrenching stories. What were your biggest takeaways from them? My biggest takeaway is that this was a group of 14 um, individuals who grew up in DCFS foster homes and other facilities. What I saw was a group of, of young people they're called the alumni. They, you know, there's all, they actually have a group. You know, like they graduated mm-hmm. from DCFS, and they aged out of the system. But some of these kids were in 30 uh, homes in the course of their their time in wow. DCFS. Well, many of them had so many caseworkers they couldn't keep track. You know, but once they get to know a caseworker, the caseworker gets moved, uh, and they have to. They, they also have problems with trust yeah. uh, tr- relationships because they're always constantly, they were moving their entire lives. A lot of them were moved with garbage bags. They didn't even have luggage. They just, they, their lives were, were packed in a garbage bag. They didn't yeah. have photo albums of their lives. Uh, they just had no real connection to who they were and, and sense of family. But what you heard in one of the sound bites in the beginning that you played is that a lot of them felt they were better off in the homes they were removed from, mm. the biological homes, families that they were removed from, then being in foster care because the abuse just continued. It just continued. It didn't get any better. It's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know. And, um, you know, there's a point in your conversation with them where you ask them, how many of you suffered abuse in foster homes? And every single one of them raised their hands. Uh, was that a surprise to you? It was a surprise. I, I, I didn't know where that interview was going. And when I heard that, and then I wanted to know how often were your abusers uh, either either charged? Uh, was there a finding of some sort? Was there a conviction? And all of them said none of them were ever. Uh, it never got to that point because they, they either it never went past the caseworker. It never got past the DCFS internal investigation. So they they learn to just not uh, they they learn to just not speak up anymore. It, one of the things that we learned is that every time they did raise an issue with their they all said yes to this question. Were you interviewed alone, outside, away from the foster care parents, you know, during your your visit? And they said that they were always interviewed right in front of wow. foster care parents. And there's a rule in DCFS that the kids are supposed to be interviewed separately. So that if they had to, if they wanted to say something, they wouldn't feel like there was going to be some sort of retribution. Wow. Yeah. Well, uh, one one person you spoke with, James McIntyre, he's the head of the Foster Care Alumni Association of Illinois, as you mentioned, um, and is a former foster care kid himself who says he also faced abuse from his foster parents. He told you, quote, foster kids make the best victims. That is a stunning statement. Um, what do you think he meant by that? What are the unique vulnerabilities foster care kids face? 
I believe what James meant by that is that their credibility is not looked at as the same. Uh, they don't have advocates fighting for them. You know, the state is basically their parent, and the, 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 the homes that the state puts them in becomes some sort of a parent for them. In a lot of the cases, these kids said they were, they were grown up. They were, they were, they were, you know, they were uh, brought into homes where they were just a number. They were, it was a paycheck for a family. Now, there's a lot of great foster care parents out there that get into it for the right reason. Mm -hmm. But some of these kids come in so damaged uh, that they're, they've been so abused in the very early years of their lives that they are, they're very difficult to, to raise. And, um, and so they make the best victims because they're not believed. They don't have this credibility factor. They don't have, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, just a, it's just a matter of um, a stigma that is attached to it. We, we investigated a little girl who had been trafficked out of a motel mm. in Chicago. She was 10 years old. She was, DCFS had been called 13 times in, from the age of 7 to the age of 10, about five different men that sexually assaulted her. And she stayed, she remained intact in the, in the family that she had. And the, the, the warning signs were there. Uh, she had been reporting these things happening to her at school. I mean, it, 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 why does a kid like that yeah. stay out? You know, it, so there's a lot of problems with these investigations yeah. and the subjectivity to them. Are, are these children just not believed? Yeah. We have just about a, a minute left here, uh, but you, 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 of course, brought your reporting to DCFS. How did they respond? Well, like I said, they did say that they feel like they're making they're, they're making strides. They're making things are getting better. I don't see that in the numbers. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so our investigation continues, and if anyone has information that they want to share with CBS Chicago and my investigative team, reach out to us um, and, and, and any social media platform through our website, cbschicago.com. We have numerous other stories that are, you know, in the works right now involving DCFS, and we're fighting for answers. Yep, we will certainly be watching for the rest of those stories. You can read the full investigation at cbsnews.com. That's CBS2 investigative reporter Dave Savini. Dave, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.